So I've been talking about this idea of praying like Paul, uh, feeding this aspect of our church life uh, to continue to grow as men and women of prayer and as a house of prayer. And uh, I'm in the ninth lesson of Praying Like Paul. Don't ask me when I'm going to be done. It's none of your business. I actually don't know either. So, um, but here we are, and we're in the book of Philippians, and this is the second half of Paul's opening prayer for the church in Philippi. We talked about the first half last week about the collaboration effect. Today, I want to talk about abounding in love, abounding in love. So Philippians 1, verse 9 says, this I pray that your love may abound, somebody say abound, still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul is the master of the run-on sentence. And uh, there are in these three verses several uh, important, I think, ideas and concepts that can be helpful for us, and they all spring out of our love abounding. Um, A lot of the prayers that we've been looking at so far of Paul's have been kind of built around wisdom about the way you think and the way you perceive. And he's praying that we'd have a a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, that we grow in our understanding and grow in our knowledge of God. But now Paul is praying about the love that's living inside of us to abound, to grow. Uh, I think that there are believers that can have a tendency to lean towards uh, wisdom and how you think and how smart you are and theology as it goes that way. Then there's other believers that would probably lean more towards the heart and how, you know, your enthusiasm and your authenticity and, and the love that you have for people. And can I just say it doesn't have to be an either or It can be a both and, like we can be smart about this, um, but but really engaging our heart in love is a beautiful characteristic of Christianity. As you look out across the world, you're going to find that love is a defining characteristic of God. It's a defining characteristic of Christianity. There are other world religions. The truth is you very rarely see them building a hospital or building an orphanage or helping helping the poor or ministering to the needs of people. But Christians throughout the years filled with the love of God have built the hospitals and sent the aid in and done all of these incredible things. So I think to understand the value and the importance of love in Christianity is is powerful. So I want to talk about for a few moments today 
six different concepts that are in there that I see in this prayer that grow out of our love abounding. And the first one is, it is God's will for us to live in overflowing abundance. So uh, Philippians 1.9, I'm going to read you several verses here real quick just to set this up. But he says, in this I pray that your love may abound still more and more. Just a few more verses that touch the concept of abundance and abounding. Romans 15, 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 14, 12, so also you, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification, and that word means to build up. Seek to abound. Whatever gifts God's given you, seek to use those. Seek to not just seeing what's the least you can do, but seek to abound for the building up, the edification of the church. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 15, for all things are for your sake, that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. So the testimony of God touching people's lives causes thanksgiving to grow and abound more and more. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 7 says, just as you abound in everything, you are abounding in faith, you're abounding in utterance, you're abounding in knowledge and in all earnestness and in the love we inspired in you, See that you abound, and this is in the context of generosity and giving. See that you abound in this gracious work of giving also. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8, God is able to make all grace abound to you, that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. One more verse, 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 12, may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another for all men, just as we also do for you. Abounding in life is God's will for you and I. You know, as we've gone through the last couple of years, it has, I think it's shrunk the traffic patterns of a lot of people's lives, and it has a tendency to want to shrink the way people think, live, operate. Now, with all the fear that's loose in the world, with all the problems that exist in the world, it can continue to press us into smaller and smaller places. The world wants us to get smaller, you know? Religious thinking wants to get us smaller, wants us to think smaller. If you ever happen to step into something bigger, say you walked into some kind of blessing that God gave you, you bought a nice house, there's somebody going to stand in the background and go, must be nice. Because they're not going to rejoice in the blessing of God. They're going to, they're going to, they have shrunk in their thinking and their outlook and their mentality. I can tell this point is blessing you, but uh, I'm going to, I chip away at this all the time because our God is El Shaddai, the God who is more than enough. 
And he has not called you and I, come on, he's not called us to live a barely enough kind of life. He's called us to live in an abundance mentality. So these verses we read, the Bible is encouraging us, God is encouraging us, abound in hope your expectation for the future. Abound in building up the church. Abound in giving thanks. Abound in this gracious work of generosity. Abound in every good deed. Abound in love for one another. Instead of just squeaking by in life, barely making it, barely holding on, you can abound on the inside. And instead of just going for, God, what's the least, and I'm just gonna keep letting myself get shrunk more and more in life, the purpose of your abundance in the kingdom of God is to enable us to help other people. Because if, if you don't have any peace, it's hard for you to minister peace. If you don't have any joy, it's hard for you to minister joy. If, you're, if your heart is not full, it's hard to bring great things to other people. My first pastor taught me a lesson that has lived on me for now decades. Real ministry is always the overflow, the abundance of your relationship with God. So this idea of abundance in every arena of life is the will of God. Jesus said, John 10, 10, I came that you might have life and, not, and that you would have it more abundantly. When you're thinking abundance, it's not God asking more of you, like you need to pony up in a greater way. It's really God getting us to understand he is a God of abundance, and he's, as life goes on, he, wants, he desires more and more of his abundance to flow through us. You know, it's possible as your life goes on that your love can shrink. Enough bad experiences with somebody, enough being taken advantage of, enough of a bad break, things not going exactly like you would want them to go, and you can get withdrawn and you can, you, can get, you can get shrunken in terms of who you love, what you love. Love can shrink. But also the prayer is, I'm praying that your love would abound more and more, that you would love your spouse more now than you ever did, that you would love your church more now than you ever did, that you would love your life more now than you ever did. I think it's a legit, if Paul is praying this prayer for the Philippians, I think it's a good prayer that you can pray for your own self and for people around you. Don't let your sense of love shrink down. Let it keep growing. Second idea that flows out of this idea of abounding in love, number two, true love is grounded in real knowledge and discernment. True love is grounded in real knowledge and discernment. 
So Philippians 1.9 said this, I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. Here's what I want to say about that, this. Love is not just a feeling. Kim Kardashian is in love how many times? Now, I'm not trying to pick on her. I've never watched her show, by the way. Kind of proud of it. But the way the world looks at love is the way you make me feel. But the Bible tells us that real love is grounded in real knowledge and discernment. Love can and should produce feelings. No question. But you can't be dependent on those feelings to keep your relationships going strong in life. Don't, don't throw the feelings out. You know, some people are like, oh, yes, it's just a matter of a decision. <laughs> Enjoy the feelings. Just don't put the caboose in front of the engine. The, if your love is grounded in feelings, one day you're going to wake up and you're going to look at him and you're going to go, my God, his breath stinks. One day you're not going to have the right feelings. So what's going to happen then? I think learning to walk in the love of God toward us helps us walk in that kind of love for people because God knows the most about you and has already decided to love you. It's not like all of a sudden something pops up and God goes, ah, if I'd have known that, God chose you, God chose me, God chose to put his love on us, knowing all of the problems, all of the hang-ups, all of the weaknesses, all of the things that are in our life. And when I can rest in that fact, I can know God's not going to discover something about me that all of a sudden is going to make him not love me. He fully loves me. I, I want everybody to love me. And I wish they would, but here's what I do know. God always loves me. And what we learn from that is true love is a commitment. True love is a choice. True love is a character quality. Let the feelings follow. Let them come. But just don't depend on them. Third idea that comes out of this concept of abounding in love is healthy discernment is birthed out of an abundance of love. This is an interesting idea. Philippians 1.10, as he prays, so that you may approve, the word approve, so that you may approve 
which that word approve could be translated um, analyze or test or examine so that you may approve the things that are excellent. Discernment is most often like a gut feeling. It's, it's an intuition kind of thing. It's, it's a hunch that you have. You know, you just, you, walk, you meet somebody and you just go, something weird. I don't know what it is. You, you can walk into a store, you just, you go, something not right here. Walk into a restaurant, walk into a church, you just have this kind of hunch, this discernment, this intuition. It, a discernment is more often a heart thing than a head thing. It's like I can't explain it, just something doesn't set right with me. And I think a lot of people look at discernment as the capacity to figure out what's wrong in a person or a situation. Now, I want you to listen to this because I think this is vital. There are people that have discernment that's born out of suspicion. They just are suspicious. There are people that have discernment that's born out of cynicism. They're cynical. They're discernment born out of negativity. But there's also discernment that's born out of love. If you have a critical eye, you can always find something to criticize. I have a a person that I'm friends with on Facebook. I I need to kind of unfollow because this guy, if there's ever any turmoil or gossip going on in the church world with church leaders, it's going to show up on his feed because he's always looking for it. He's the guy to go to if you want to find out of the garbage. I know somebody's going to come to me after church and say, who is it? Who is it? <laughs> but if you're looking through the lens of suspicion and cynicism and negativity, you're going to find what you've been looking for. But if your eye of discernment is birthed out of a heart of love, you could actually locate good things. We, the world we live in right now is so swamped with negativity, so swamped with hate, so swamped with cancel culture, Oh, you said one word wrong. Done, out of here. Discernment that's born out of love is just putting your love goggles on and going, you know what? I'm just going to judge you out of negativity. I'm going to look at you through the eyes of love. Can anybody hear what I'm saying? I think think this... The, the whole negativity culture that we live in right now puts us in an awful frame of mind. But a love mindset puts us in the right frame of mind. 
It's not, you're not being blind to what's going on. You're not living unaware of what's going on. It, love is a better angle to take. Love is the, the greatest excellence attitude. So he says that you could approve, verse 10, the things that are excellent. Our church is committed to a standard of excellence. In other words, we're trying to do the best we can for the glory of God. We want everything to be touched with the spirit of excellence, no matter what it is, just our systems, our audio, our video, our you name it, whatever we can do, our kids' ministry, our facilities. But I just want to back us all up a minute and recognize that the greatest excellence attribute that the church can have is love. It's not, it's not our production value that wins someone to Christ. It's the love of Christ being alive in us and with us. I should have got a way more amens than it got. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, last verse going into 1 Corinthians 13, earnestly desire the greater gifts and I show you a still more excellent way. And then he goes on to speak about the more excellent way. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Next weekend, there'll be a bunch of people in church that aren't usually in church. If we think that somehow our well-produced songs and services and sermons is going to impress them, there's, there's other stuff that's way better produced than what we can do. But I'll tell you what will make a difference is if they're met with kindness and they're met with love. I remember when I first showed up at church, I had no idea what church was about, what Christianity was about. I walked into this little church, had 125 people in it. The production value in that church was negative 10. Honestly, it's like the music was terrible. The clothing style was terrible. I didn't understand hardly a word the pastor was preaching. I fell asleep more often than not. But here's what I knew when I walked in that place. They loved me just like I was. And I believe that the greatest. So can I just say this? You don't, have to, you don't have to have an assigned position to love on people in church. Amen. You look for somebody who's awkward, which might be most of us, but looking for, and go love on them. Number four idea, an abundance of love will bring you to a place of maturity and authenticity. So verse 10 says, as you're bound in love in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. Sincere and blameless, two interesting words. The Greek idea behind, the Greek word for sincere is judged by sunlight unalloyed or pure. 
The, the Latin word that is translated sincere, it's two words, it means without wax. In other words, when you have a piece of china or a statue and it's cracked, people will sometimes fill that crack with wax. So a person who's sincere is, they're, they're not all they're cracked up to be. The, the priest, person that's sincere is not a person that's just waxing over the situations in life, but there's authenticity. There's, there's not deceit. There's not sneakiness going on. It's what you see is what you get. And then the, the, uh, the other word there, to be sincere and blameless, the word blameless is a Greek word that means not causing to stumble or not stumbling. And I think this is interesting because nobody is perfect. I mean, everybody has cracks and everybody does stumble. But something about walking in the love of God and walking in love towards people is that you come across with authenticity to their life. I, don't, I think a lot of people don't like fall to pieces in a day. They just have a crack and they don't deal with it and they just keep waxing it over and waxing it over and waxing it over till, it act, till things just crack apart. It's when, when we're talking about not stumbling, I don't think there's very often that the devil shows up with his pitchfork and says, come follow me. I think what happens is people stumble over things that they should have been living in the light with. And all of that, all, the only reason I'm saying all that is this, sincere and blameless are not the result of human effort. Not like you being perfect. It's you walking in, I love God the best I can. I love people the best I can. All right, the next idea, two more and then we'll be done for today. An abundance of love produces fruitful lives. So verse 11, uh, Philippians 1.11, having been filled with the fruit, somebody say the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ. I've noticed in a lot of these prayers that we've been looking at of Paul's is that the concept of fruit or fruitfulness seems to be a, a common theme. Fruit is the manifestation of a healthy tree. So Jesus talked a lot about this. Uh, Matthew 12, 33, either make the tree good and then its fruit will be good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad for the tree is known by its fruit. Uh, Matthew 7, verse 17, so every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. In other words, if you take care of the root, you take care of the fruit. You don't, you don't tie apples onto a tree and have an apple tree, right? So a good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. One more uh, set of verses from Jesus. For there is no good tree 
which produces bad fruit, nor on the other hand, a bad tree which produces good fruit. Each tree is known by its own fruit. Men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they pick grapes from a briar bush. So the Bible's talking here about the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ. Right living, right action, right ways of doing things is not work, it's fruit. Work is an effort. Work is trying to be righteous. Fruit is the result of a process. Fruit is a harvest. Seeds that have been planted, it's taking the time. I would say this, rather than trying to do things right all the time, spend some time in the Word, spend some time in prayer, make sure you're consistent in church, surround yourself with people who are moving the same direction you are with God and keep that consistent, sowing that into your life. And guess what? Fruit starts to come out because you're taking care of the tree. Fruit is the manifestation of life. Life that's been properly tended. You can't fake fruit. (laughs) You gotta have a healthy tree. That takes time. Fruit is born out of a personal relationship with Jesus. You know, at the end of the day, all of us have to recognize Jesus told us this, John 15, abide in me, I in you. Like, keep a relationship with me. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches, so he who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Come on. The last thing I want to talk about today, and then we're going to pray together, is abundant love brings glory and praise to God. So the last part of this uh, verse 11, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. I'm going to say something you think I would say in church because I'm a pastor and this is church. But I I don't want us to hear this as a religious cliche. When it's all said and done, it's all about the glory of God. And I know that I know we can go, yeah, yeah. But what I want to point out is it clicked for me a few years back that the story of my life is not about the story of my life. And here I am in the center and God is making it all work. I realized that the story of life is the story of Jesus. 
It's the glory of Jesus. And if I would throw my story into that story, my story actually becomes a whole lot better and bigger than when I made my story the center of attention. Can you hear what I'm saying? And I think when we are looking at God, what would glorify you? Because sometimes you don't have this huge vantage point to make decisions. And I've found that the more often I'll say, God, if I say that, will that glorify you? If I do this, will that glorify you? If I don't do this, will that glorify you? I've found enough of those little what glorifies God and was born out of the love of God toward me and my love to him brings my life into a much better place. If you seek to live for the glory of God, your life will count in an incredible way. I want to pray with you today. I'm asking you to bow your heads, please, and close your eyes. Father, I pray for every heart in this room, every heart that has been wounded or trampled on or feels unable to really abound in love, I am believing for you to touch us, to help us, to heal us, to restore us. Lord, let your spirit do a work, God, in each person's life. First, may we all be convinced of the incredible, unconditional, abundant love you have for us. And then, Father, I'm praying that out of that flows life for every person. With your head bowed, your eyes closed, I just want another minute just to give an opportunity. Maybe you're here today. You've never really surrendered to Jesus in a real way. I'd love to pray with you. Maybe you're here and you could look back on a time where you say, you know, I used to be close to the Lord, but I'm not where I want to be anymore. I'm not where I used to be. And you know it's time for you to come home to your heavenly Father. Or maybe you just feel unsure about where you stand. This might be the most important moment of your life for you to finally say yes to God. Nobody's looking around. I just want to pray with you. If you say, Pastor, would you pray with me? I want to surrender to Jesus or I want to come back. I want to know for sure I'm right with God. More important than me praying for you and praying with you is for you to signal to God just a yes. If that's you, would you raise your hand real high all over this room? Just say, I want to say yes to God. I want to come back to Jesus. I want to know for sure I'm right with Jesus. All over the room, just lift your hand. God bless you right here. God bless you. Anybody else just wants to say yes to Jesus? Amen. Thank you. God bless you. Hey, let's pray together. This is for everybody who lifted their hand. But I'd love for us all just to say these words. Everybody say, Lord Jesus, I open my life to your love and your lordship. I need you. I want you in my life as my Lord. 
I know I've sinned, but I come to the cross where you've paid the price for my forgiveness. Today is a fresh start and a new beginning. Help me become the person you created me to be. Amen. Come on, let's thank the Lord.